Hello and welcome back to Morgan's Corner, my podcast. Today I'm joined by Scarlett. Hello, Scarlett. Hello. And we're going to be talking about elitism in classical music. Um, we've had a bit of a short hiatus or so, I mean, just under two weeks. When I did say at one point I was going to be doing it daily, so apologies for that. But we did a, a few that didn't work out particularly well and had some technical difficulties. What the stop yeah. recording every half hour ending up with like a two hour long Alfie screaming at making Which d- all the all the audio for that one got lost, thankfully. Well, except for Alfie, so it's just him talking except to him. Except for Alfie, yeah. <laughs> it was just Alfie talking to himself for like two hours. So yeah, after some technical setbacks, we're we're back on with a more debate focused one. And yeah, we want to talk about classical music, um, and how the modern avant-garde of classical music is quite elitist and self-serving. And how that probably doesn't do any good for the reputation of classical music in the mainstream. Yeah. So yeah, where are we going to start, Scarlett? Well, it's quite, I don't know. Um, well, I mean, where do you think avant-garde sort of starts in terms of classical music? Post-1910, pretty much anything after the Romantics, I would say. So when did it start to become, was it always elitist? I just think, I don't know if elitist is the word, but it's incredibly inaccessible. And, yeah. and awkward to listen to and I just don't think people really enjoy it anyone honestly um, because people got more obsessed with these techniques like serial music and I don't think anyone really likes it but do you like serialism? sometimes but it's really rare like I like when people apply it with some balls I think it's really interesting, but then a lot of it, like some Schoenberg, and I listened to uh, Perio Lunaire or whatever it's, I can't pronounce that properly, I've probably done it wrong <laughs> the other day, and it was good, right? But I feel like a lot of it, when you make a huge volume of serial music, like, I don't know, 50, 100 significant pieces of some length that aren't like preludes, I mean... I don't really think anyone wants to listen to it. And most of the time, it does sound over-intellectualized. Like, they were... I think the main problem is that this type of music is overly concerned with the journey, not the destination. Like, they don't care if the end product sounds good, as long as the process of making it was intelligent. Like, we used serial technique because we wanted to get away from the convention of tonal music in any way. Well, the thing is, is, like, people seem to become like obsessed with originality and trying to come up with something that no one had done before but the problem is is when you have like a limited number of pitches that sound nice you run out of things that become original and also sound to the western ear nice and then you become obsessed with finding these other methods to make something new but not necessarily nice and that bothers me because i listen to music that i think is like you know pleasing to hear and i i just don't understand totally why you'd want to make something that just doesn't sound pleasant (laughs) i uh, I get that i do get it and i like it sometimes but not in massive doses but i think you need to have some element of contrast or but how can you you, i mean i'm gonna portray like extreme dissonance and very tormented sounding music you have to have 
some sort of resolution or you don't have to but i think it sounds nicer when you have like a mixture you have some nice things and and you display some sort of torment but you resolve it somewhat or at least you use it in conjunction with more conventional things that have some element of beauty rather than it's really ugly really ugly sounding music yeah ugly is good but it needs to be used for a good reason rather than lol isn't it clever yeah that's the thing i guess if you have like a if it makes sense to use it then fine but if you're doing it for the sake of intellectual like points i just don't see the worth in it exactly i mean i was doing some pretty in-depth research on gazang de jungling the other day yeah which is really interesting and one of the things he did was this like total serial technique yeah which is like not just pitch-based serialism but like say you've got like a bunch of rhythms you like make like a rhythm row interesting and like in terms of like section lengths you'd do like a section row so it'd be like seven bars three bars six bars nine and it's like and it's like the, the concept of serialism, like melodically and harmonically. But, but so you do it with like section lengths and rhythms. And and, and I had no idea because that... you can't tell when you listen to Gazang the Youngling that he, he did every section in this total serial technique. But there's the thing. It just sounds so, dumb. But if you can't. The, That's the, what I'm the, saying. Concept, the concept is good. But the fact that you listen to it and you don't notice it, you don't appreciate it unless you like look at what he's done and i kind of don't see the point in that like yeah i agree i mean you know he had to work out mathematically like measuring with a tape how long every bit of tape needed to be he had to spend literally hundreds of hours editing each section together with the tape and i just thought well that's all very interesting but i had literally no idea because you can't tell when you listen to it all it sounds like is a german child going mental (laughs) with with a like a bunch of computers and I like it. I think it sounds weird and tormented and yeah, you, know, you wouldn't have the details. It's cool and I want to like it for that because that's taken thought, not, you know, like he wanted to see what it could do. But if you can't hear it, it's like it loses its cleverness to me. Exactly. But, I mean, and I also, I respect it from the point of like he was one of the first or the first to do things with synthesizing sound and stuff. Um, I think but and that's you know well yeah. done but uh, other than that if you, if you can't hear what you've put hours and hours of work into making i what is it's worth yeah oh. i mean I, I like the piece a lot and i like stockhausen a lot but i just think it's symptomatic of the problem mm. that he's a great example of unbelievable over intellectualizing yeah, and he's kind of the 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 symptom. Really, he's very symptomatic of what my issue with it is: is that people got so up their own asses about what was clever, they forgot what was sensible musically. I think so. And I mean, what's that one that we looked at? Um, Tansy Davis. Oh yeah, he did that piece uh, where the orchestra like conducted itself. Yeah. And I I don't totally hate that idea. I kind of think that's quite innovative because you, what do you think of when you think of an orchestra, you think of a conductor, you know? Yeah, sure. So it's like trying something new. Makes the players more involved. Did it sound like spring? No, but... Oh, I thought it did. 
Uh, well, I guess. So I think that's subjective in that case. I know. Like, I liked the piece. I just thought that technique was a bit. What's the reason? Yeah, I mean, I maybe if there was like a uh, something about the piece that meant that it shouldn't have a conductor. I mean, you could go all like whatever and analytical and be like, oh well, spring doesn't have a conductor. It's all. <laughs> So the orchestra is embodying spring. And it's like okay, especially so. being a musicologist one hundred and one. I know. It's like so spring yeah, you... lacks conducting. <laughs> you could say, oh well, it's reenacting the natural nature of spring. But at the same time, no. But then also, again, symptomatic of the problem. No one normal cares. No, and also half you, of music students don't care. But it's listen though. If you're like listening to the piece, right, just as you do, not in front of them, you don't notice it. Like you don't know no, that you wouldn't know. So again, it's like how much of an impact did that choice really have? And maybe she didn't actually think that deeply about it, and she didn't want it to be. That wasn't the point. But it's just okay. But you still, it just seems over intellectual to do something like that. I mean, at least she made a piece of music that sounds somewhat like what it's meant to that sounds melodic that has tonal elements that people can enjoy that you can play in the royal albert hall and not yeah i mean i didn't dislike confusion. i didn't dislike the piece itself. whereas I've, so many people i mean imagine like unironically playing i don't know some of webern um some of the other funny stuff the funny european stuff all the spectral music imagine playing that in the royal albert hall for a packed Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, you just... It's not going to get people nodding along, is it? I it mean... wouldn't It wouldn't be like Riot of Spring in 1913 when that premiered, if anyone doesn't know there was a literal riot where that, that premiered because it was just so horrendous to these people. But people would just be confused. They would be like... Why? <laughs> why the hell am I listening to this? Like, what is going on? So then is that, like, their point? Is it to make people just be like, what? But that's so stupid. That's so alienating and elitist, and I don't like it. It is a bit because it's like I love the avant garde. <laughs> I make funny music all the time, but you can't, <laughs> you can't just do it for the sake of pushing people away. There has to be a reason. Well, the thing is, is like I, I'm not entirely certain of like what I hate to talk about petals, but I don't know what her purpose was when she was making it. Like, I don't really know what she was trying to do i mean i know it was meant to be on monet's water lily thing but, but... it doesn't sound like water lilies well do you remember the note was like oh it could represent that the noise could represent the water lilies feeding off the mud at the bottom of the riverbank yeah doesn't like... know we're talking about petals by kaisha sariaho just shit don't go listen to it <laughs> the problem with petals is it just sounds like second rate horror mu film music yeah, pretty much. Well, it, would, way, though, it, would, it would work for that, and it would work. I, I, I sometimes I feel like I get it. It's like she's trying to create a soundscape of what the cello can actually do, but then the other half of me is like, yeah, but it's an ugly cello. Like, I, I just I think Sariaho could carry it off if she said, "I'm an unpretentious film composer." This was designed for an uncomfortable scene in a horror movie. It's not anything more than that. I'm not recreating the cello. I'm not 
rewriting the exist the book of music. I'm not <laughs> an ultra genius. I'm just an unpretentious film composer who's I mean, a pretty dodgy the, sounding bit of music. I think the problem that I have with it is that like she's literally. I feel like she's trying so hard to like make something new out of an instrument that is perfectly fine when you just play it nicely. Like <laughs> it doesn't need altering to sound so, like noise. Do you think our problem with her comes from context then because if you gave that to someone in the context of it's a part of a horror film and you put it over a bit of a horror film it would work nothing bad of it no but because we've listened to Sariaho in those godforsaken interviews go on about how much of a genius she is (laughs) it puts a spin on her shit music and we've looked at it music in like as musicologists in a a clever music sense, not in a yeah. ooh, good bit of soundtrack sense. Do you think that impacts our opinion? I think so, because it's like you become aware of their intentions and how they view the piece and how they view themselves. And it feels like she's trying to, we might be wrong. Like I've never spoken to this woman, don't intend to, but she's like, <laughs> I just feel like she's doing it to be clever. And that frustrates me because it's like, she's you're not definitely doing that. Yeah, and it's like, you lose the... It, it goes back, I think, to what makes that... When we when we looked at broadcast, what we liked was the sincerity. And it just... It really doesn't have any feeling of sincerity. Like, for me, good music... And this is entirely subjective, because I think it depends what you want to get from music. Like, if you want intellect, then fine. But I think it, that takes away so much, because you want... I look for feeling of nostalgia and satisfaction or something like that and you want to like have insight into someone else's perspective on the world and what do you gain from that it's just a scratchy cello (laughs) like exactly yeah i mean i love when people experiment and do clever things and are intellectual i just wish it was sincere i just i want people to do it because there's a good musical well yeah and i maybe i phrase that a bit harshly because i don't know i agree with you i agree with you yeah it, I think okay. it's cool when people try new things and it's like you did a clever thing but you did a clever thing because like you just had a good idea this doesn't feel like a good idea this feels like what can I do to make the cello crazy and it's like yeah but well it just feels like I don't know there's in- a, disingenuous there's a bit in uh, Alfie's gonna make fun of me and you might laugh when I say this there's a bit in a King Crimson song um, <laughs> I knew that was coming. Called, <laughs> called indiscipline, right? Yeah. And it's got these really interesting lyrics where he's like describing an object in more and more unsettling ways, but you never find out what the object is. So it's really, really ambiguous and open ended, and you've got to try and work it out the whole time. Mm. Turns out it's based on a letter someone sent someone else's, someone's wife sent to someone in the band, I can't remember who, about a painting they'd done. But he's just talking about this object, and he's got this lyrical theme and it gets a bit weirder and more uncomfortable and more ambiguous as it goes and between the quiet spoken word sections which are like a talking head song because adrian blue had worked with the talking heads like a few months before joining king crimson yeah and then in between those you get this huge drum crash blue will shout something weird like the end of the verse it's just he says the last line big cymbal crash i think it's three drummers playing at once mental filling ultra polyrhythmic there's this huge guitar riff there's like weird not atonal but extremely outside sometimes atonal odd guitar playing on top it's completely chaotic it's wild it sounds weird 
it sounds intellectual but it's got a reason yeah it works it it's it contrasts the spoken sections it works with the lyrical theme it's clever but it's sincere it's not just like lol haha serialism what about if we took the concept of serialism and we applied it to every single element of our music and that's total serial different yeah i guess i mean i i'm not sure i would listen to indiscipline and be like ah yes my faith I mean, I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't enjoy it but at least there was a, a sincerity in, there's, in my yeah, eyes there's like purpose to it then it's good reason then everything can be justified with good reason yeah and i maybe there's an interpretation of petals that would make me see it differently but or a movie soundtrack <laughs> yeah well quite <laughs> literally but yeah i mean i i just have this thing where like I, I just want music to feel like it's come from somewhere genuine. And I, I, this is, I think I said it in a music lesson once and Bradshaw was like, that's controversial. Cause I was like, I don't really like how Mozart seemed to write. Like he had, no, a very, he had a really methodical approach. You can always tell if it's Mozart because he did the same thing every time. It's math. Oh, it's literally math. Yeah. And he did it mathematically. And so did Bach kind of, I mean, I know Bach was a bit more important because he, he kind invented of invented tonal music yeah yeah and so like, achievement a little bit a little bit important fair enough i don't like the mathsiness to it but you know whatever but for mozart i just i just don't like the fact that he didn't seem to what inspired him you know he just seemed to be this kind of creative wizard that was like i must write music but he did it to like a formula and i just i don't enjoy that it's like people who are really good at an instrument but don't seem to get really excited by it yeah there's all these you people know, that like loads of grade eights but then they don't actually like have much of a love for music and it's like why did you do it there's like conservatoire students with diplomas who can play like i don't know shostakovich from memory on the piano forever but when they talk about it, it's not like when you and I talk about it and we get really passionate, excited about things. Mm. We start to raise our voices and everything's like, ah! It's just like, oh, I'm really good at piano, man. No, I don't write music. I just play what other people play. And you've got this perfect... And I mean, I don't have a problem with people who are like... You don't have to, like, have to write music to show that you care about it. Like, no, but it's just weird when people don't seem to like it. No, that is odd. I I never understand that. It's like you... I wouldn't have put any effort in if I didn't like it. No, it's like you devoted your life to something that you seem to just you've done it because you that was what you were doing, and it's like right, okay. Yeah, that's why I don't think parents should be like pushy with music lessons because I just think you just kill the joy. <laughs> and why I don't think people should practice like twelve hours a day like Charlie Parker did after Philly Joe Jones supposedly threw a symbol at him for being fucking dreadful you know because unless you're charlie parker and you're some weird obsessive you're probably just going to get bored and discouraged and burn out and treat it like a chore and then you'll never get very good because you don't love it no you should just play when like you want to and that's the goes for like anything music should be something that is there to be enjoyed and i feel like making it totally intellectual takes away from that a lot I think the destination should always be more important than the journey. And I think 20th century classical music got that a little bit the wrong way around. 
quite possibly. Despite and my I... love for a lot of it, I'm not disparaging it because some of it's fantastic, but overall as a movement. But I mean, in terms of like, you mentioned conservatoires, I'm so afraid of the people that go there because it's like, I just have this feeling that they would look down on anyone that's not that doesn't know every date in the world. And I mean, that bloody Cardiff interview. That Cardiff interview I went to where she just... I I played some pieces and then I was kind of... As I was playing them, I was like, I probably should have like done a bit of research on them. And I understand that knowing what a piece is about and for helps your interpretation. I knew what it was about and what it was for, but did I know the whole history of who wrote it, why and when? No. And she was like grinning me, and it felt like it was just taking away from the performance that I thought wasn't totally shit. You know, like I, I, I want, mean... I just didn't understand why that was what she voted as important when that's not what I find interesting. And it seems to be like this massive intellectual thing that you must know all these facts before you can enjoy a piece. I do think dates can be interesting because they're enlightening they are um, enlightening. sometimes I knew, the, that the wasn't written, I knew it wasn't written in like the 1970s like i had i'm not that stupid you know like i had an yeah, idea sure. i just didn't know the specifics and i didn't see their total relevance in how but i just played it i think the information that dates give is more important than the specific dates if you don't know Stockhausen was born in 1922, like, who gives a shit? You don't need to know he was born in 1922. You could just say the 20s. Mm. But the interesting thing that creates is that he grew up in Nazi Germany. Yeah. And when he was 13, this is interesting. I had no idea about any of this until I found out. Um, the reason he writes such tormented music, and the reason it sounds so sincere when he writes tormented music, is that when he was 13, his mum was literally euthanized by the Nazis. Really? Because, you know, they used to just kill all the mentally ill people. Yeah. She was mentally ill, so they just killed her. And when he was 17, his dad died. That is reason to write tormented music. He grew up in Nazi Germany, having been, like, directly persecuted, or indirectly persecuted by having his mum just killed for having a problem. Damn. By the Nazis. It's that sort of thing is interesting, because then you think, now I understand. And, like, because yeah. Ang the Youngling, the text he uses is about three christian boys who refused to um to what, what did they refuse oh, they refused to worship some king or something so this is pretty fucked up but the whole village like put them in a barn and set the barn on fire so these children would die because they refused to bow for the king or whatever because they were like i only bow for god um, yeah and then when the barn burnt down they just came out unscathed because and he he was like I relate to these children because of the incredibly hostile not only the incredibly hostile reception I've had in life like with my upbringing but also mm. the incredibly hostile reception I've got from my music because people mostly don't like it because it's so ex- extreme and that's yeah. sort of interesting because that makes you understand it. Yeah, like that... he was born in 1922 is not interesting. It doesn't make you understand anything. I mean, the thing is, it's like, well, what I. I was just playing a piece, like, I mean, it was Parry, one of them, and it's about his, uh, it's so confusing, I think his granddaughter. Right. Well, all you're trying to do is evoke, like, the spirit of a young girl, you know? Like, so simple. 
I know, but it's nice. I like that it's simplistic. Like it's yeah, just it's, a, it's a, a nice piece, right? And she was just going on about who Parry was, what did he do, where was he from? I said, I don't know. I just know it was his granddaughter. That's all you need to know. I know. So it felt like irrelevant that she was making, and that's okay. My main point, I think fine if you think dates are important and the history is cool which i do i enjoy learning about the history of pieces um but not for that particular instance and the problem i had was it is she made me feel so stupid and the thing with classical music today and i'm worried i worry that i do it to people sometimes like that because i have to some extent of musical knowledge when somebody doesn't i'm like oh blah, 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 blah. but it's like why make someone feel stupid when all they want to do is enjoy a piece, you know? Like, And that seems to be a big thing with classical music today. And I hate how that is. Yeah. I think it's just disingenuous. There was, um, well, there was a really interesting sort of, not debate, but one guy made a video that I'm very, I, a guy that I like, and another guy made a video responding to it. Mm. And the first guy was asked in his Q&A, he's called Samuel Andreev, and he does, um, like, really great musicology on contemporary classical music and on captain beefheart so he's right up my alley oh, okay. he said basically contemporary classical music isn't for everyone there's a market some people like it and there's not a problem this other guy david bruce replied and sort of said that and i'm paraphrasing him here so I'm not quoting him or anything he, he yeah. said that music should be a like a communication between the artist and the audience rather than something that entirely just serves the artist and I think that's an interesting take on it. That I agree with that. That very you should much. be trying to give something to your audience, rather and than I think, just doing what I you think want. that leads like that whole that idea is very into the whole. Can you separate the art and the artist? Which I think we should definitely talk about at some point. We are going to just want to do that with Alfie as well. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like that idea, you know. Yeah, I, hugely. It should be. Uh, yeah, I think that's really true but it should be a communication that anybody that you can have different levels of understanding of what the artist is trying to communicate you know like uh, you don't have to be a musicologist to enjoy a piece of music and it just i don't feel like music should be made out to be this elitist thing i feel like a lot of universities and conservatoires make out that to be the important thing and maybe for some people it is but i disagree yeah, jazz is the same. In fact, in some elements it's worse, but in most Probably it's worse. nowhere near as bad. I would say sometimes it's much, much like, worse. Um, if you do something like play Autumn Leaves in E minor, like the passive aggression, the toxicity is ridiculous. And people are really toxic. And when you go to a jam, there's this thing called vibing, which is if you vibe someone, it just means you don't like them. So you're really passive aggressive and you give them dirty looks. Really? Just... I thought vibing meant you did like something. No, 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 no. If you go to a, if you go to a jam, you're like, oh man, I got vibed by this drummer. Mm. It just means pure passive aggression, just looking at you like you're an idiot, and they're pissed off at you for playing a bad solo or a solo they didn't like, and it's, it's just stupid. It's really elitist, and it really it makes me, me so scared of jazz, and like I would, I'm. It makes everyone scared. People just are so intense about it that, haha. I don't like you, so I'm going to give you horrible looks all night. And I, I mean, I kind of saw you as that person, though. Like, definitely year 10 and 11, I felt like that was you. That was probably <laughs> me quite a lot. I think I, <laughs> I was very much a jazz elitist at one point. 
But I just think all that shit's ridiculous. All the whole elitism thing is ridiculous. I mean, just let people enjoy other music. Like, what I'm made a you change your mind? Fan. What made you? Me. What made you think like that? I used to do the same thing about heavy metal. When I was like thirteen, like if it wasn't tech death, it was basically not worth listening to. And everyone that was listening to nice music were just pussies that didn't understand <laughs> what was so brutal. They were just sitting there being sheep, listening to the normal people music. And I had my visceral disgorge albums and <laughs> skinless and gore rotted and anal cunt and other bands. <laughs> that is so they're, they're a grindcore band and they're fucking dreadful but i do like grindcore generally and i'd like i'd listen to worm rot and exhumed and i'd think i am clever this music is it's not the mainstream it's better than the mainstream so what made you mainstream change- are idiots and i realized I, I stopped being a 13 year old boy with an elitism complex and i just thought <laughs> what is wrong with liking music because you enjoy it yeah. And also, as I got into more types of music, right, I was I I was obsessed with metal for years, and I listened to nothing else. Then I got into like jazz, and the jazz people were like, <laughs> all these all these heavy metal pussies with their like inability to play guitar and they can't improvise. And then all the jazz people were like all these loud heavy metal idiots in their leather jackets. And then the classical music was all the same, and you had all this elitism from different mm. genres. Yeah. And I was getting all the messages at the same time telling me that because I like jazz, I couldn't like classical, and because I like classical, I couldn't like jazz. Because I like jazz, couldn't like metal, because I like metal. And in the end, you're just like, no way. In the end, I was like, this must be bullshit because I like them all. (laughs) (laughs) And the final straw was like thinking, I'm a big fan of Jim Steinman. I love Meatloaf and and Bonnie Tyler. And some guy on the internet was like, haha, you're you're not true cult if you like Meatloaf and Bonnie Tyler. And I was just like, I don't need that energy. Like, just do what you like. Music's yeah. meant to bring you joy. Stop overcomplicating it. I just love it because it makes me happy, no matter what genre it is. No, I think that's a good way to see music. Just yeah. listen to what makes you happy and don't be a bitch. Yeah, just be, everyone should be nicer to each other and we should all respect each other more. And if you don't want to listen to super intellectual music and you don't want to talk about Captain Beefheart with me, that's completely fine because I get that most people don't, and we should all just enjoy our things that we enjoy. Yeah, I think so. And you know, I don't think Corey Wong is, or Wolfpack generally, is like the most amazing, innovative music. And I know I talked on the podcast about how much I enjoy progressive, complex, new ideas, genuinely interesting things, but it's just funky, bro. It's just really, really funky. It's just really as hell. Everyone's, everyone's so tight, and I'm like, damn, yeah. Like, sometimes you just want to go to a small jazz club and listen to three blokes play really funky music with, like, like, one, four, and five. and That's that's, that's, that's more legitimate. of a new thing, but yeah, that's... <laughs> sure. Or sometimes you just want to listen to a pop song, you know? And that's yeah. legitimate, and we need to stop pretending it's not. And that's classical music's other problem. It's like, once people like classical music, they've got to make it their personality and not like anything else. And this is more the contemporary stuff, but still. Mm. You know, no, I, I, I used to be so judgmental with like pop music, not from a, not from a liking classical music, but liking like indie music. Yeah. And I, ew, this pop is trash. I will never listen to it. And at the end of the day, it's like, who was having a lot more fun? The people that were singing the songs. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. I, so it's like, just like. It just turns you into a miserable shell who's so yeah, so I what feel everyone like else thinks of their music it, taste. Music should be about just letting people enjoy what they want. If you enjoy it for the intellect's sake, then 
go off, but don't as shut. As long as it brings you happiness, it doesn't matter how it brings you happiness. No, and I, I although I really strongly agree that like music should be a communication between like the creator and its audience. I mean, if you want to make something self-serving, fine, but I don't know if it should be studied because the point is it's for them, you know? Like, Yeah, I mean, sometimes you do make self-serving music and people happen to like it. And then it's, well, it's no longer self-serving because music's purpose can change from the originator's point of view. Hugely. Um, But I'm, I'm not convinced that these musicians all liked their music. No, it does feel can like you... they... They I wouldn't imagine enjoying serialism the first time. Mm. When you're like, wow, isn't this creative and new? I made this thing up. My name's Arnold Schoenberg, and I've made a really exciting thing up. Then I can't imagine spending, what, like 20 years of your life writing all these works that are all like that, and by the end thinking they sound good or they sound different to each other. No, because they, like, the, the point of serialism is that they basically can't be that different from each other, really. No, they, they just, all you have to do is pick an arbitrary order for your notes to go. And you run out of orders of notes, eventually. And the notes are so weird that you're going to kind of be forced to use unconventional rhythms and stuff, so they all end up sounding similar. Mm. And sometimes it sounds genuinely tormented, and I'm cool with that, because I think I like when people express genuine emotion through their composition. Yeah. Sometimes it just sounds like an exercise. <laughs> no, I agree. And it's like, a lot of why would you make something that you don't even like just to be clever? That seems like a waste of time to me. I'm really convinced they can't all like their music. No, I don't Some think so. I mean, I believe Stockhausen genuinely cared about every funny musical project he did. Probably. The guy did it for years, and he's put extraordinary amounts of hours into it, and he loved the process and he also had a pretty dark mind that i imagine with all the things he went through you'd have thought so yeah if he didn't i'd be impressed but i i i could not just be sitting there as a normal average composer writing a serial symphony and then writing another one thinking these sound so different mm. they can't they just they'll sound similar and they'll sound crap <laughs> basically my hot take <laughs> conclusion yeah i just think people need to yeah it's really odd people need to it's odd i don't know i can't articulate it i feel like i just did but in a really rambling way and now i'm trying to like sum up everything i just said <laughs> but i don't really think i can but you know people just... people just need to chill out and make music that makes them happy rather than maybe makes them intelligent because I in the want composers to stop being elitists and be more genuine yeah i mean think about like you know back when beethoven was about like people enjoyed it it had fans mm. and this is the thing we talked about at the start me and scarlet before we started recording which was actually quite a salient point on my part so i want to bring it up again no i'm not really convinced contemporary classical music has many fans if you look at the avant-garde in like film people go and watch it you know gaspar noe and stuff people actually like it i mean it's not a huge amount of people there are fans who don't make movies who aren't involved in the process who really care about what gets made you look at uh jazz like albert isler and stuff i know not everyone likes it and cecil taylor but some people think it sounds really good and i do Mm. and if you look at basically every form of art 
the avant-garde will have devoted fans who care about it on an emotional level, who think it's genuinely good. But if you look at contemporary classical music, like, I'm talking, like, post-60s, like, the modern composers, I'm really not convinced that anyone except for their friends and families and rival composers who want to steal the stupid, clever idea of the month really <laughs> go to those concerts. I don't I think like they might, they're they might, average fans. What you say is, like, they the people from the other forms they care about it on an emotional level i think that's what's lacking so they might people might care about it on an intellectual level but the emotionalness or whatever is not there because how can it be like there's nothing there's not if if it's written for intellect's sake what emotion is there to connect to i mean like i don't know how to make movies but there are really clever avant-garde movies that i have enjoyed Whereas, can you imagine listening to, let's put any of the examples we've talked about today, Bartok, Webern, Stockhausen, any of them, can you imagine listening to that as someone who doesn't do music, doesn't understand music, and isn't trained, not liking it? No, like, you have to. Because you wouldn't understand. You just, it would just be noise that is upsetting to listen to, which it is still, if you know a little bit what's going on, because, I mean, I wouldn't know totally what was going on anyway, I'm not clever enough to get it, but I would have some level of understanding but it still wouldn't be pleasant to listen to it's basically all tolerable for you and me i mean we can tolerate serial music and across stuff. like from year 12 to the end of year 13 my levels of tolerance for music definitely widened like uh, there are things i can listen to now that i probably wouldn't have done before but we can tolerate it because we kind of know what's going on yeah, yeah. so i can't imagine but i only like it or understand i only understand it and can listen to like all of it because I know exactly what's happening, and I can appreciate that. I can't imagine not knowing anything about how music is made and finding some sort of emotional value or joy in it. I really can't. No, I couldn't. I agree. So that's just that's my hot take. Yeah. Uh, do, but do you think, can, can you think of any decent exceptions that you think are, are still making music, or not necessarily still, but contemporary music that people genuinely enjoy? Because obviously there's the Rite of Spring as the main one, which mm. has become a concert hall mainstay of the level of, you know, Bach and Mozart and Beethoven and Chopin, which is genuinely impressive that that's happened. But let's face it, it's kind of the only piece of music of the last, well, it's 107 years old now, and it's it's just kind of come into fashion in the last 50 odd years. And there's not really any other examples from that time period that are on the same level. I'm trying to think. I mean... Well, the fact that I'm having to think so hard is obviously not... They're not mainstreamly accepted, are they? Because otherwise we'd know about them. Yeah, I guess so. But do you think there's some that people enjoy heavily? Probably. I I hate to keep talking about universities I went to, but they're kind of the epicenters for these intellectual things. But they... I think it was, I was going to say Norway, not Norway. What's it called? Mm, mm, <laughs> Kings with an N. Not North. Nottingham, North. that's the one. Oh, okay. Not Norway. I went North to. Northampton. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Nottingham. And this guy was so into spectralism. Like, it, it, it was. There was this one piece he was talking about where the noise was meant to be. It was it come from a tree or something, and then the actual building it was listened to had been 
carved from a tree. I don't know. I kind of zoned out. But he seemed very into it and that there were people that also were into it. And I kind of thought, fair enough. But in terms of... So so I think, it's yes, that there are people that enjoy it and have some kind of connection to it, but those pieces seem to have meaning behind them, whereas just the purely intellectual ones, I'm not sure. Yeah. But I don't know if I have the position to make a complete statement on it, you know? Yeah, I mean, because there are people who will talk very passionately about it. Mm. And some of it really is kind of fantastic but it just feels so not that common to find it if i listen to some different composer other than like my established ones i like like bartok and stockhausen and webern and occasionally schoenberg if i Mm. listen to someone new like one time out of a hundred i'm gonna think anything along the lines of this is creative this is different this is interesting i enjoy this Usually it just sounds basically the same and also boring. I mean, the one the one piece that I find enjoyment from, not from a musical perspective, but from a entertainment, is the, the Berio. Oh, Berio vocal cantata number three. The Frenza, Price. yeah. It is so funny. But it's just funny. That one is just <laughs> not enjoyable. I kind of like the eight songs for a Mad King. I by... like Berio though. I just it makes me laugh. It's not meant to make me laugh, but it makes me <laughs> laugh every time. I like it for the wrong reasons. I like it. I unironically really enjoyed Elements of Eight Songs for a Mad King by I Maxwell Davies. I do also just sort of found it funny. I find it quite funny sometimes. I don't funny. think I appreciate it for its musical value. There's a video version where he like smashes a violin over his knee. <laughs> and every person in the comments is like, that instrument could have gone to a child in Africa. <laughs> oh yeah, so all those violins are dying so to teach the children in Africa. <laughs> Just, everyone was so upset that he broke a cheap violin on stage. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, like... At, and it's like that that one we did in our A level mock last year or end of year exam, whatever. The symbols that just came out of nowhere. The symbols out of nowhere. But the... I kind of liked them because they had contrast and they felt like they had reason. Like they went from more tonal melodic bits to more to dissonant complete... bits to like portray a situation rather than like the dissonance is the situation. I guess so. It was about what was it? I swear our question was the same this year about. Like turbulent times. No, because the last year was to um, portray the Antichrist, and this one was like the turbulent Antichrist. times in the World War. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was about it's about um, God and the Antichrist. Oh, <laughs> the end. <laughs> it was um. Uh, we probably sound like mad people because we haven't explained this at all. It was like completely tonal, and then halfway through the tonal bit, which was like. But it wasn't even tonal, it was like Renaissance music, like no, modal early music, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but there was also like a bit of like uh it was just one massive chord that kept like building and building and just yeah. holding. And then all of a sudden it stopped and then it just symbols ensued. <laughs> symbols I swear to god it was serial. I 
I'm so convinced it was like serialism and. I symbols. never got the name of the piece from Bradshaw. He never told me it. I asked no, him like. I never... asked him constantly. And he never. He was like, "Oh yes, I'll find that," and then didn't. So can we? Can we email the man? I think I'll try and get it because I really. Because want... I, I unironically thought it was like quite good. I just want to listen again. It. Take me back. Because <laughs> it had a contrast. It was like you could tell they were portraying one thing and then it got corrupted and they were portraying the other thing which was the antichrist which we got as like context from the question yeah so i, I actually like... thought that was quite a good piece I it can be enjoyed this like avant-garde classical but is it like widely supported to a like in-depth level as other avant-garde genres no one near no but so yeah i don't know it has its place but it should be made less elitist i feel like that's his main problem I, I just think people should, well, composers should maybe think more about their audience a little bit and be less self-serving. Yeah. And also serialism is 100 years old and a bit, and total serialism is like 60, 70 years old. So you're not new or clever for doing it, so please stop doing it. <laughs> people have been doing it forever now, and they're like, I'm an intellectual. Don't... I am writing serial music. <laughs> to conclude, yeah. to conclude, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the take on serialist music is it was clever the first time and now you're boring you're not schoenberg stop it <laughs> <laughs> you're also not webern who actually did serial music really rather well really rather well my five forty was quite fantastic <laughs> although he moved through different phases in different parts of his career of like how organized his atonality was I don't know if I've ever genuinely sat down and had a listen to Weyburn, so maybe I should do that at some point. I, I recommend a string quartets opus 18 and 22. But like some of some of his pieces are more like, haha, notes, and there's just a lot of weird notes. <laughs> and then some of his pieces are more like completely strict serial technique. I like that. Haha, <laughs> notes. You know who we haven't talked about, though? Who? Cowl. Oh, yeah. Now, he did a lot of interesting things. He also I went quite... to prison for being gay. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Got to shut that out there. I kind of... I don't hate what he did. In terms of, like, the piano thing. Like, there's... What was it? I cannot remember what it was called. But I the found Banshee one... and Aeolian Harp are his most famous pieces. The Banshee. The, tiger. the Banshee. Oh, I like the Banshee a lot. It's actually quite good. It's weird, but it's quite good. I really enjoy it, but I, I like Aeolian Harp. I like all of the weird things he did with pianos. I quite yeah. like some of his later, more romantic music. I mean, yeah, if I had to pick a favourite genre of like more classical music, romantic would be it. Yeah, I also really like minimalism, for the record. I like minimalism. God, we haven't talked about minimalism yet. We have to be fair. That this is has a- gone for hours, Scarlett. Minimalism's really important because it's a move away from the unpleasantness of serialism. But it's still totally different to classical music, and it's I think anti-serialism. it's find like a like a um uh, something that people can enjoy, but is still classed as different and avant-garde. Minimalism is probably it. Yeah. Um. Any specific recommendations? Phrygian by john adams good shout i really like that one and i just i i don't think you like do you like in c or is that the one you don't like i don't mind in c i don't I like hate it. it i played I... it once it was quite boring to play 
Well, it can last like literally as long as you want it to. So well, we did it for fifteen minutes, so we were over all the themes very quickly, but it was boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I quite like it. I just feel like that. I really love how you can start with something and it changes without you even noticing it because it happens so slowly. Yeah, and I just I don't know. I I enjoy it and I think it's cool. I also think Spiegel and Spiegel by Arvo Parr is a fabulous melody. Such a funny name. Oh, it's really interesting the way he wrote that. So apparently when he was playing piano in his early days, I think he might be another one who was persecuted by the Nazis a bit. Mm. And the piano was in a house that had been bombed. So the middle part was fucked. The, all of the mid-range was pretty much fucked so the only things he really had was the bass and the very high end that's which is quite... why Spiegel and Spiegel which is written for piano and um, cello is like entirely in the bottom end and top end of the register yeah that's, that's so interesting that's very interesting but also um, Steve Reich is fabulous yeah his rhythmic stuff is really interesting and very original and not pretentious wank. So music for 18 musicians, clapping music, music for pieces of wood. I like clapping music a lot. I've tried so oh. many to do it successfully and I cannot. But so hard. Uh, what's the other one? Different Trains. That's my favourite. Mm. That's just a fabulous thing. He got a Grammy for that. Damn. Well, good. Well, there you well... Go. That's an example of music that is classical an innovative but very much communication with the audience. Yeah, I think we've found a middle ground on where people could enjoy it. There you go. So the conclusion is serialism <laughs> is old hat. Stop it. You're not Minimalism. You're not, Fabern, you're not Sh- um, Schoenberg to so stop it. But minimalism is sick. Do that. Do that. <laughs> Everyone go write a minimalist piece. That's that's everyone's task. Minimalism work for this podcast. Also, like late romantic music because it has such lovely chords in it. Oh yeah, I like. I mean, I like all romantic. Yeah, me too. To be fair, Bill Evans, my favorite piano player ever, who just makes the most beautiful music in the world, Mm. is just Debussy chords, really, and Debussy chords are just Debussy chords are chords upgraded. Yeah, pretty much. Upgraded Bach. It goes like Bach, Beethoven, Debussy, Bill Evans. That's evolution. <laughs> Excellent. It's just it's just so lovely. All the it's proper my type of chords and they're all gorgeous and they've all got ninths and dissonant internal intervals and lovely. pretty things. Nice. Nice and non functional sometimes. Not always. In fact, not most of the time I'd say, but you know. <laughs> But yeah, I'd say that's a, a fairly discussive discussion. Yeah, well, that was um that was very insightful, Scarlett. Um, <laughs> generally, that yeah, that was all right. Okay, well, we'll head off now because this is approaching fifty-five minutes, fifty minutes, yeah, about fifty-ish minutes. So yeah, right. pretty long. It's about the broadcast podcast length. I hope anyone who has uh, stayed this far has enjoyed themselves and will listen to the next one um yeah thanks very much for tuning in say goodbye scarlet goodbye bye bye